Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Now, let me be real because this is what you're here for, right? You don't want to come here for me to blow some smoke. You come here for the truth and for me to be real. So let me give you the truth and let me be real. I had a great time in New York. Great time on the NFL Today on CBS. Great road trip. Great commute there and back. Awesome. Now, the football itself yesterday was not awesome. It just wasn't. That'll happen. We've had one great week after another so far this season. And like all good things, that run had to come to an end. And it did yesterday. Now, I'm not going to say yesterday was a horrible NFL Sunday. But you know it's bad when only one game is a one-score game on the entire schedule. And that's the case. And that one game was Atlanta beating Miami on this. Snap, spot, kick from Koo is away, and it is good. Atlanta wins. 30-28 to 28 is the final here today. The there you go. That was like the only real competitive game of the weekend. Other than that, you had games like New England opening up a can on the Jets and then continuing to run it up and pour it on. The refs had to step in and stop that fight because the Jets could not defend themselves or the Pats. Final score, 54-13. The Pats just put 54 on the Jets. A half a hundred plus four. I mean, that's crazy. I'm not going to say that Bill Belichick hates the Jets. Actually, yes, I will. The Hood hates the Jets. You see a score like that. You see a scoreline like that, and you half expect, no, you fully expect Eric Mangini to run across the room and try to fight the Hood. 54-13 just is not an NFL score. That's a college score. That's Alabama playing an FCS school. NFL teams do not hang 54 on other NFL teams. They just don't. Even teams as sorry as the Jets. Even the Jets haven't given up that many points in 43 years. And they're the Jets. They have sucked for years. But they've never sucked this badly. They're allowing more points than they have in decades. And they did hire an allegedly brilliant young defensive-minded head coach. So this is bad. This is really, really bad for the Jets. And then it gets even worse because if losing by six TDs wasn't bad enough, then they lose Zach Wilson on this play. Back to throw is Zach Wilson off play action. He's going to flick a bomb down the left side, and it is bobbled and almost intercepted, but a flag is out. Keelan Cole, the intended receiver down at the goal line. Zach Wilson is hurt. Zach Wilson was hit back behind the line. He is hurt. There's a flag down near the end zone, but their quarterback is flat on his back in the offensive backfield. Westwood won on that call. So everything about yesterday was a disaster for the Jets. Like just when you thought they might be on the verge of turning a corner. They had that win over the Titans. They nearly beat the Falcons. Then this happens. Then they turn that corner and they run into a sledgehammer. The Jets, though, are not the only team that's miserable right about now. The hell is up with the Panthers. The hell were they doing jacking with a big head bets weekend? They went from a 3-0 start and looking like a playoff team to a four-game losing streak, and their latest loss is definitely the worst. I mean, it's one thing to lose to teams like the Cowboys and the Vikings, Quite another to get punked, not just beaten, but punked by the New York Giants. I mean, holy crap, what a disaster that was. I'm looking at you, Rit. The hell are you jacking with our weekend like that? And speaking of disasters, has anybody checked in on Kansas City lately? And if you have, can you please tell the world exactly what the hell is going on with the Chiefs? This crew went from being the alleged team to beat in the AFC to looking like one of the worst teams in the AFC. That's not hyperbole. That's not a hot take. That's not lava. They're 1-4 against the AFC. 
And the last two losses have been really ugly. They didn't just lose 27-3 to the Titans. That was a mugging. And that was humiliating. They didn't just get manhandled. They had to watch Derrick Henry hit them with this. Michael Pruitt has entered the lineup. Now going in motion, Tannehill. Direct snap, Henry. He throws in the end zone. Man is wide open. Caught. Touchdown, Titans. Michael Pruitt. The Titans go to the King Cat. And the King has thrown for a big six. That is just insult to injury. One thing to have to worry about that dude running through you. Now you have to worry about this dude throwing over you? Let me interrupt that thought for one second. This tweet just in. I'm going to read this as such. This tweet reads, quote, Panthers are ass, old man. Actually, that's not a tweet. That's a text from James Kelly. Hey, Kelly, head. If you got an issue with the old man, and clearly you do, go to him directly. Why are you texting me that? Quote, Panthers are ass, old man. Obviously, the big head's taking big head bets very seriously. Anyway, Derrick Henry throwing over the top was not even the most concerning part for Kansas City. The most concerning part, obviously, is the shot that Patrick Mahomes took. Titans are playing the sticks. Six DBs back. Mahomes is going to be hit, and the ball's out. The ball is out and picked up by the Titans. And Mahomes is hurt. Mahomes is hurt. He got hit in the head. Mahomes fumbles the ball. He is down and injured. As he gets rid of it, actually takes a knee to the head, the front of his face mask. Why are you playing music under a guy getting hit in the head with his knee? Oh, (laughs) Alvy. Oh, man. Already we're off the rails. I'm like, Alvy, the hell are you bumping music under a quarterback getting knocked out? He goes, dude, that, that's their broadcast. That's not me. But by the way, who's not a Tears for Fears fan? Great. Now we're making light of a quarterback getting knocked the hell out. I'm trying not to. Anyway, that was not us. That was them. What that was, who's, who's not a Tears for Fears fan? This guy, for one. And, and I love that era. I just hated that song. I never liked that song. That song was like the biggest song in the world for way too long. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is that was grim. Really grim what happened to Pat. Then again, so was the rest of Kansas City's offense. You know, the rap has been that the KC offense could always bail out the defense. Yet yeah, not anymore. Not anymore. Not when you consider that KC defense is so much worse than anybody could have ever imagined. And the offense right now just is not clicking. Not in the way that it has in the past. In fact, it's not clicking at all. Not if Mahomes barely cracked 200 yards passing. And not if Mahomes didn't even throw a TD pass. I hate to say it, KC, but now would be a very good time to start looking for the panic button. Now, you know me. I'm always trying to find positive in everything. So, good news, bad news. The bad news is the Chiefs are looking like just another team right now. Never thought that I would say that, but they look like just another team right now and not a playoff team at that. Good news is I will not have to go back to Kansas City for the AFC title game with the NFL today on CBS to freeze my ass off again. That was in January of 2020, and I'm still not right On October 25th, 2021. Now, as long as we're talking about Super Bowl contenders who are having it rough, San Francisco looks like anything but a contender. They're 2-4, and and they lost to the Colts last night. Despite Carson, Carson Wentz doing whatever the hell Carson Wentz was trying to do on this play. Wentz back in the shotgun, gets the snap. He's back to pass. Wentz looking left, steps up, chased by Bosa, flips it forward, intercepted. Picked up by Al Shire. Back to the 15, he slides down just shy of the 20. That looked like Carson Wentz from a year ago, an ill-advised decision. Ill-advised or the worst idea ever? Now, credit to Wentz and the Colts for bouncing back from that. And credit to the head and eye for being on that one. 
You couldn't screw that up, old man. Rit. You couldn't screw that up. If you're like me, your weekend plans include kicking back, watching live sports, and it doesn't even matter what sport you're watching. It's always fun to have a little action. Personally, I've got my week eight eye on Pittsburgh, making that short trip to Cleveland for a heated divisional battle. This is why I'm going to recommend downloading the WinBet app right away. Whether you're a recreational player or a serious handicapper, WinBet is your ticket to every exciting wager, from straight bets to parlays teasers, and any exotic prop wager you can come up with. The app is so easy to use, and everybody knows that Win is one of the biggest and best brands in the gaming industry. So get off the sidelines and join in on all the action. Download WinBet right now. You can get it on Google Play or the Apple App Store. Put yourself in the game with WinBet. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. You do have to be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Now the 49ers have to bounce back after losing four in a row. Four in a row. And it does not sound like Kyle Shanahan is all that hyped on his current quarterback situation. Asked if Jimmy G would be the starting quarterback next week, Shanahan gave pretty much the most quiet endorsement ever. Quote, I would guess so. You would guess so. Yeah, I'm just surprised he didn't throw it back to this answer about the same quarterback situation back in April. Um, I can't guarantee that anybody in the world will be alive Sunday, so I can't guarantee who will be on our roster on Sunday. Um, so that goes for all of us. Kind of morbid, brah. You, you can't guarantee that anybody will be alive? What, the, the meteor that wiped out the entire planet? Anyway, we don't know who's going to play quarterback next week. While I'm at it, why don't we take a moment and spare a thought for Dan Campbell and the Lions because they're now 0-7 after yesterday's loss to Matthew Stafford and the Rams. Now, just because Detroit lost seven in a row, don't think for a second that they're rolling over. The hell they are. They gave it everything they had yesterday. They came out to Los Angeles, and they were looking to make something happen. They weren't just showing up to get speed bagged by Matthew Stafford. I mean, they had to know that Sean McVay was looking to do them and Jared Goff the way the hood did the Jets. You know, get up on them and just keep hammering away. They were looking to put dudes in body bags and prove their point and remind everybody why they sent Goff packing in the first place. However, the Lions did not get the memo. The Lions may suck. The Lions may be winless, but they are not punks. And they came to play. And they started the game like this. They Go right ahead, Alvy. My bad. Sets up the screen. Got to complete the Swift. Swift picks up a block. Gets across the 45 to the 50. Swift still going. 45 into Rams territory. Middle of the field. 25, 20, 15, 10, 5. End zone. Touchdown, Detroit Lions. Goff to Swift. 63 yards on the connection. Lions are first on the board. By the way, that guy can play a little. That guy can play a little. Swift, knock off. Anyway, that's how you start a game. Oh, you like that one? That's just uh, New York Rome. This is how you start a game. You start a game like that. But you know what's even better than hitting a TD on the opening drive? Chasing it with this on the ensuing kickoff. I can't impress a oh. And they go onside. The ball is loose, and the Lions have it at the 47-yard line. Oh, wow. Pulling out all the stops at 0-6. The Detroit Lions go onside. Oh, hell yes. And that's coming from a guy who picked them to get bludgeoned on TV. But oh, hell yes. I got to give them credit. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. Dan Campbell. The Honolulu Blue and Silver showed up looking to win. The proverbial, they weren't there to take part. They were there to take over. And as I mentioned... I jumped on the set of the NFL Today on CBS yesterday and swerved way out of my way to say how badly that was going to go for the Lions. And not only did I respect the way they showed up, not only did I respect them going with some of that gimmickry early on, although I never want to be wrong, I had to respect that they were pulling out all the stops and that they went gimmick with it yet again a moment later on fourth down. 
A throw. The Lions breaking out everything. Jack Fox with a dart to the sideline, and it's a first down. I mean, would you check these dudes out? Like, if I'm going to be wrong about a prediction or a take, which, by the way, is not very often, honestly, but if I am going to be wrong, it may as well be with these guys doing those things. I mean, these dudes are standing in the middle of the ring just throwing haymakers. Hell, throwing everything they have at the Rams. And why the hell not? They've got nothing to lose. Only a game. And that happens to them every single week anyway. My question is, how could the Rams not know that? How could Sean McVay not know that? No way a coach that good and an organization that good was not ready for this from an organization and a quarterback in golf that desperate. But here we are. Here the here bleep we are. We are. And the Lions we were actually up 10 nothing. We all know the Super Bowl is in L.A. this year. I just didn't know that they played it yesterday. Why was I not on Radio Row last week? Why was I not getting ready for the Super Bowl? Well, that was the Lions Super Bowl yesterday. We know that. Man, because they were all out. And they were still down just one in the third quarter when they pulled this right out their ass. Let's keep an eye on this. There's the snap. They fake it. That is Moore over the left side. Got the first down and more. 50-yard line. 45. Inside the 40. And a first down for the Detroit Lions. Their second fake punt of the day. The direct snap to C.J. Moore. And he's got the first down and a gain of 28. Would you look at these dudes? The only thing better than calling a fake punt is calling two in the same game. And that's not some nerd analytic bullcrap either. That's just badass. Again, I know. What do they have to lose? They were winless coming in. But I still love that you bite off somebody's kneecap with the first fake. And then you come back for the patella with the second. We're going to bite a kneecap off. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? This time, change up. Don't make a shake. Do not eat a bar. Instead, grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Here's why. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender, and it's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. On top of that, Old Trapper is a family-owned business, and they take their smoked beef extremely seriously. You can taste it in every single bite. Like, who wants dried-out, rough beef in a bag? Nobody. That's who. Old Trapper, though, is the real deal, and it comes in four amazing flavors. Old-fashioned, teriyaki, peppered and hot and spicy all amazing and all different so the next time you want a great protein and energy snack that you can have anytime anywhere grab some old trapper beef jerky look for it in the clear view bag and look for it in major retail stores near you if you don't see it ask for it by name because no other jerky compares old trapper what's your beef ross good to have you back what's up how are you Doing awesome, Jim. How about yourself, man? I am awesome. And before we get to the games, Ross, really quickly, the important stuff, we have to start with food. How was the food at West Point on Saturday when you were there for CBS Sports Network? Incredible. And I'm glad your priorities are are aligned with mine, Jim. Uh, They have the best breakfast in all of college football. It's called the Lichtenberg Tailgate. The guy literally takes the filet off the grill and slices it and puts it on a roll for me because now he knows me. I post it on social media. People want to check it out, at Ross Tucker NFL. But you, you haven't lived until you've had three brats and two filet sandwiches at 9 a.m. I mean, that's, that's the type of life I want to live. And, by the way, the only mustard available – Golden's Spicy Brown, because the U.S. Army, Jim, the U.S. Army knows its condiments. Ross, like, no matter what you and I talk about going forward, it's not going to be better than that. I mean, we can walk it off on that in and of itself. I will ask you this, and that sounds absolutely amazing. I mean, amazing. My question is, and obviously you're going to eat, and you're going to eat the day you work. Well, obviously the day you work. But can you get that down? Can you carry that on board before you have to do what you have to do? What's the process for that? Yeah, it's a fair question. Um, And there were a number of 
of uh, social media people that expressed their concern with how it would affect the broadcast. Now, I will tell you, uh, Wake Forest and Army playing a 70-56 to 56 game definitely helps, right? Like, if there's a touchdown every five seconds, I didn't have a chance to slow down. Uh, but I'm just – like, if I'm calling a game, I'm just all in, Jim. Like, the only caffeinated product they have in the press box there is Diet Coke. But I probably just had, like, four to seven Diet Cokes throughout the game. Now, when I get home that night, I am absolutely like, – I crash like it's Thanksgiving – but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna slow down before the game or or during the game. So I just eat as much as I possibly can. I crush Diet Coke, come home, go to bed. Dude, you are living your best life. We all aspire to that. Ross Tucker is joining us. That's absolutely amazing. All right, so let's talk some NFL really quickly. If I had told you, Ross, before the season that Kansas City would be three and four and would have only one win over an AFC team, what would you have said to me? Mahomes got hurt. Right. Either that, either that, or they had uh, cluster injuries at a position. I think that is the most stunning part of this, right, Jim? Is that when there's a team that's been so good for the last three years and they're so talented, usually when there's a drop off, you can point to two things. Either they had a bunch of dudes leaving free agency because of the salary cap. They couldn't keep them. So guys left, got more money elsewhere, or they've suffered a bunch of injuries. That's not really the case with the Chiefs. I know Chris Jones missed a couple games or whatever, but it's not like they're losing because Tyreek Hill and Kelsey and these guys have gotten hurt. I mean, that's, that's not why they're losing. They're just not playing very well on defense. And, Teams have figured out a better way to defend them. And as a result, Mahomes is not staying patient. He's being too aggressive. He's having a tough time with it. And he's turning the football over way more than he ever has before. Ross Tucker joining us. I think you nailed that. That's exactly what I think is going on right there. But now flip it on its head. Ross, on the other side of that game, you've got the Titans. And they've now beaten Buffalo and Kansas City in back-to-back games. How does Tennessee look to you as a team right now? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Well, at least it's not tears for fears, Alvin. If you had busted that out. Uh, whenever we hear that music, that means we lost a guest. Because that happened once with Dana White. I was talking to Ross Tucker, and we were talking. I thought he nailed that response about Kansas City. It's not like they've got a bunch of injuries. He's back. Ross, I was saying that, uh, that if you flip that thing on its head, what about Tennessee? Tennessee has now won back-to-back games against Buffalo and KC. How do the Titans look to you now, Ross? You know, better than I thought, obviously. Um, you know, I, I'm the guy that told people to lay the points with the Titans when they played the Jets on the Even Money betting podcast. I'm still mad about that. I mean, there are certain things, like how the Jets beat the Titans it's crazy. Or how about the Chicago Bears beating the Bengals? You know, there's so many games in hindsight that's absolutely crazy. But for the Titans, their defense played their best game of the year. And offensively, you know, it's one of those things that's really interesting in life, Jim. Because Tannehill wasn't great with the Dolphins, it's like people still won't give him any kind of credit. You know, we get to this point where – People don't like to go away from their initial impression of somebody. But Ryan Tannehill has been playing really good football now for, I don't know, it was four years in Tennessee. It's been a while now. But there are certain people, they'll never give him credit. They'll never say he's above average quarterback because they'll never really forget that they thought he stunk when he played for the Dolphins. I think you make such a great point. Guys get hit with labels, and they just stick, whether they're fair or not at the time. Never mind that guys can change, or never mind that it wasn't fair to begin with. You're right. Guys get hit with labels. That's why they're labels, and they stick. As far as your other point, Ross, I mean, the NFL, dude, it, it's crazy, right? We James Kelly and I do this every Friday when we do big head bets. I mean, the league, I've never seen the league. It's never easy, but in terms of picking games, and especially against the spread, Ross, has it ever been more challenging than it is right now? 
It's always been really hard. Um, I think it's it's getting harder, and I'll tell you why. There's so many more people doing it. There's so much more money at stake. I think the lines are sharper. I right. Any market you want to talk about, the more scrutiny, the more money involved, the more people involved the tighter the market's going to be, you know, in anything, right? Like anything you're talking about, the opportunity is before more people get in. As more and more and more and more people get involved, the opportunity is less because it's scrutinized and there's going to be a lot more eyeballs on it. Dude, you are sharp. I appreciate that take, too. Ross Tucker joining us. Here, Ross, let me ask you something about the Bengals. Rather than me saying to you, let me get your reaction to what they did yesterday, you posed a question on Twitter. So let me turn this around on you. I like this. Quote, how many 11 personnel skill groups, quarterback, running back, tight end, three wide receivers, would you take over Cincy's for the next five years and who? Let me turn that around on you. How would you answer that rhetorical question? Yeah, I'm not. I'm. I'm not sure there are any. I mean, there are certainly some that come to mind, like Arizona. Um, but then, you know, Arizona. It's like, okay, well, who's your third receiver? Is AJ Green going to be playing at a high level several years from now? And I guess they just got Zach Ertz, and he would be the tight end. I know some people mentioned the Dallas Cowboys. I think that's probably a pretty darn good one with Zeke, and then Ceedee Lamb, Amari Cooper, Dak, and. Michael Gallup. I think I think the Cowboys are up there, but the Bengals are just so young, and it feels like they'll only get better. I mean, even the Cowboys, right? They're tight ends. They're all right. They're not this C.J. Uzoma guy. I mean, I, I don't know where this guy even came from. He made some <laughs> plays last year before he tore his Achilles, but he's. I mean, Jim, he's awesome. Like he's, he's so good. Big time plays every week. They've got legit young studs and lots of them everywhere i'm so happy for Bengals fan i'm so happy for the other jungle we got the jim rome jungle i'm so happy for the other jungle the Bengals, because they're finally good can you imagine how awesome it was to wake up this morning as a Bengals fan as long as they've stunk again it's like wow i mean if i'm a Bengals fan today i'm reading everything anybody writes i'm listening to the jim rome show all day to see how many times they mention my team. Like, this is this is as good as it gets if you're a Bengals fan. No, you're, you nailed that too, Ross. In fact, we've been talking them up and hyping them up, and I've been interviewing their guys. And I went on the NFL Today on CBS yesterday, and I hyped them up. And Boomer Esiason had sat down with Jamar Chase. I mean, they're getting a lot of run. We've been talking them up, and it feels great, and they look great. And to your point, if I were a Bengals fan, I would be reading everything this morning and listening speaking of which you are working on a piece later on this week about a possible Deshaun Watson trade what are your early thoughts on a possible deal of Watson to the Dolphins so Jim you're gonna love this one okay because I've said two weeks in a row that I believe Deshaun Watson's trade value has gone up and I'm not talking about the off the field stuff although I do think it's interesting that Ian Rappaport said today he does not expect Deshaun Watson to go on the commissioner's exempt list if he's traded because they don't do that for civil lawsuits, which means if this guy gets traded, Jim, even with the 22 civil lawsuits against him for sexual assault, evidently he's going to play. Evidently he's going to be on the field. And the reason why the trade value has gone up for the Houston Texans is because of what's happened to the Dolphins and the Panthers the last two weeks. You know, they both lost. Darnold's looked bad and got benched. Tua has done a lot of positive things. I almost feel bad for Tua, but he's had three critical interceptions that were the difference in those games. And here's the deal, okay? Is that everybody needs to understand. The owner of the Miami Dolphins, Stephen Ross, is worth $8 billion. Okay, he's 81 years old. He could call his pilot and fly to Fiji in 45 minutes from now, if he wanted to, okay? But you can't buy a championship. You can't buy a franchise quarterback. I just don't think he's patient. I don't think he wants to wait and find out if Tua can be really good. He wants to win that. He's 81. And the owner for the Panthers, Jim David Tepper, I was reading up on him. This is a guy that once got passed over for a promotion at Goldman Sachs. 
So after he became a big hedge fund billionaire, he bought the house of his former Goldman Sachs boss and knocked it down and built another one twice as big. Bitter like, much? These are the dudes we're dealing with. I mean, these are the guys we're dealing with, Jim. If they can get a top five quarterback and have a chance to win championships, they're going to do it. These are guys that are used to getting what they want. They want championships. They want a top five quarterback. The guy they can get right now is Deshaun Watson. I think they're going to try to get him. I've got to talk to you about the most amazing product, my X chair. (laughs) My X chair is insane. I mean, it's incredible. I never actually look forward to getting to the office to sit in my office chair until I got my X chair. As an example, can your current office chair give you a massage while you're working? My X chair can. Can your current office chair heat up or cool down? My X chair can. And it's all in the LMAX massage and temperature regulation exclusively designed and made for X chair. I'm talking crazy technology with my X chair. And once you feel the customized support of X chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar or DVL, your back will never be happy in any other chair again. Take my advice. Try X chair for yourself risk-free for 30 days. Once you realize how much better your chair should be, you will never go back. Trust that. Go to xchairrome.com. That is the letter X chair R-O-M-E dot com or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR for 100 bucks off your order. X-CHAIR has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. That's xchairrome.com, xchairrome.com. Ernest Johnson is my guest. Ernest, great to have you on. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Oh, my man, it is so good to have you. In fact, there's so many things I want to get into. But first, coming off that first career NFL start, that huge game, I got to know, what have the last few days been like for you? Man, it's been crazy. You know, I've been getting a lot of love from a lot of different people around the nation. You know, a lot of people telling me how much I'm an inspiration to them and, and, and things like that. You know, it means a lot to me. You know, just, just media and just come from where I come from and, and you take the route that I had to take to just to get here, man. It's a blessing. Dude, I'm so happy you answered like that because I believe all of that is true. I think you are an inspiration, and I absolutely love your journey, and that's why I wanted to talk to you. You showed up at the postgame press conference with a sweatshirt that read, Trust the Process. A lot of guys say that. I think people hear that, and it kind of goes in one ear and out the other because they don't really understand it. But when you look at your life and your journey, there really is a process. What does that mean to you, Trust the Process, and how have you gone about doing so? Uh, trust the process. It's a little slogan of mine that and that comes with uh my brand is uh slow grind something I go by every day. Slow grind means just staying focused on the ultimate goal. Sometimes the process doesn't come fast. It takes time. So I mean, just me going through what I went through. You know, I had to go through uh, you know, like I say, different obstacles. You know, just uh, even just growing up, I had to go through different different obstacles. I had to fight for everything that I that I ever wanted. So uh, just trusting the process, I had, you know, my goal was to make it to the NFL, you know. That's my goal coming out of college. You know, I thought I had high chances uh, uh, of making it to the NFL. You know, I had a workout with the New Orleans Saints, and that ended up not going the way I wanted to go. So then, like, I had to find another way to try to make some money because I had a, uh, at the time, my son was five years old. You know, I had a five-year-old son, and uh, I just tried to make the Made some money just to just to provide for him, but at the same time, while I was out, you know, fishing and, and trying to make some money, uh, you know, my and back of my mom, my goal was to still make it to the NFL. So after 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 I'm done fishing and stuff, you know, I I go up to games uh, and work out as a, a personal trainer. You know, I, I become a personal trainer up at a local gym over there, and while I was working out working out clients and stuff, you know, after that I train and get my body ready and stuff like that. You just train and train for like a couple of hours, and I would do that every day. Then that's when the Alliance of America League came out. You know that that league came out, and I seen that it was an opportunity of a new football league. You know, for people to have a chance to make it back to the NFL. So at the time, I didn't. I had an agent, but at the time, like we wasn't, you know, on good terms. So I ended up like letting them go. So uh, I just stepped out on faith and just. Inbox every alliance, like every team. Like I inbox every team. I 
you know, I tried to send my family in, my family into them, and I did that. Then uh, that's when I had a couple of college teammates that was on the uh, Orlando Apollos team. You know, and I called them and I asked them like, you know, how can I get in there? Like, how can I you know, be a part of the team? And they gave me the this, the, uh, the coach number. They gave me the coach number, and the coach, uh, one of the coaches was one of my college coaches, and he gave me the number to the GM. So. I got a number for him, and I started just calling the GM every single day for, like, two weeks straight, every single day. And I just kept calling and calling and calling until, like, uh, it was, like, um, like towards the end of December. He called me and said, uh, well, when I called, he said, uh, we just let two of our running backs go, um, but we're going to go over as the coaching staff and see what we want to do. I said, okay, that's fine. You know, then the next day after that, I called again. I said, have you guys made a decision yet or not? And they said, yeah, we're gonna go. Uh, we went over as a coaching staff. You know, we're gonna bring. We want, we're gonna bring you in, but we're not gonna sign you. You know, we're gonna bring you into training camp, but we're not gonna sign you. You know, all I said is that's it. Yeah, I need. I just need. Thank you. I just need an opportunity. You know, I need an opportunity. So we went into training camp, and I was like the fifth running back on the roster, and I was just grinding. I kept my head down, just grinding and grinding and grinding, and I ended up ended up making that uh, team as the third running back. Then come to the season of that, like um, uh, the first game of the first game of the Lions, I didn't play that much. But then when I did get the chance to play, like I ended up uh, scoring a long, on a long touchdown pass, and uh, I scored on a long touchdown pass. And that was that. After that game, then the second game, we was you know we had a we was back down in our own end zone. We had to drive the ball down to to feel the win, and they put me in and. I ended up, you know, running the ball and dropping it down and helping the team to the win. And the third game of the season, like, they ended up naming me the starter. And I rushed for, like, 80-something, 90 yards in the touchdown. And after that, that's when I, you know, it was it was it from there. Like, it just kept going up and up. And I ended up being, like, the leader of Russia and something like that in the league. And that's when the league folded. And uh, I had different workouts and stuff from different NFL teams and stuff. I had a workout from the uh, New England Patriots. Uh, it didn't sign me after my workout. So I had to fly back home and keep training and keep training. Then I had a workout from the Green Bay Packers. Same thing. They didn't sign me at all either. So that's when Cleveland called for uh, – get. I got invited for a veterans uh, mini camp. You know, veterans mini camp, I got an invite. A three-day mini camp. I came up here, but then, like, I didn't. They didn't sign me. You know, they didn't sign me at all. So I went back home and I just kept training and training. But you know, I'm like, man, I'm close. Like, I'm close. I just kept training harder and harder. Like, I'm, I'm close. And that's when Cleveland called me back again, and I came up for another workout, and that's when they ended up signing me. And I've been here since then. Like, it's a blessing. My man, I would say I've done this a long, long time. I think that was the most epic answer to a question I've ever gotten in my life. So good on you, man. Props to you. That was absolutely beautiful. Dearness Johnson, my guest, that, that is your story. That That is absolutely the story. That is the most amazing thing, that this is what you went through. And just so people understand what we're talking about here, you had a really good college career. You ended yeah. your career with more than 4,000 yards from scrimmage. So you had high hopes. As you point out, things didn't work out with the NFL draft. You worked on a fishing boat. You went to the Alliance of American Football. You put up numbers for the Orlando Apollos. Then the league gets folded. And then you get this opportunity with the Browns. And then they've got a couple of great running backs already. And they both get down. And you get your opportunity. I got to know, that first touchdown with the Browns on a Thursday night, prime time. This team needs it badly. What did it feel like to take it to the house? Man, like, even when I, they named me the starter, like, that was just a, a blessing there just to come in to start an NFL game. You know, that's always a kid, whoever playing football, dream of playing in the NFL, you know, they want to be able to start an NFL game. That's that's big time. But, no, nah, like, we went down there and scored. Like, you know, the O-line did a great job, you know, and give thanks to the O-line and the receivers. You know, they did a great job the whole night. Um but just to get in that end zone and just, it's an undescribable feeling, you know. I just, I, like, I wanted to do some kind of celebration. Like, I had different kind of celebrations that I wanted, wanted to do, but I just, I couldn't think of anything at that moment. Like, I was just in shock. Like, I just scored my first NFL touchdown, and all I, all I could do is just 
let it all out and just yell, you know, just just yell and just because it's it's been a long journey, man. Just to get here and just to do something that you always dream of as a kid, man. Like that's a blessing. Hey, I kind of wonder, like, so when you're doing this slow grind and you're paying this price and you're working on a fishing boat and you become a trainer and you're not giving up on the dream, what kept you going? What? Why did you not think at any point? Maybe you thought at some point, maybe it's not meant to be, but you never gave up. What kept you going? Man, like, I, I got to, you know, football is just always my dream. Like, I wasn't going to let anything stop it. You know, I have a good support system around me that just kept motivating me just to keep going also and just, I got a son, you know. I got a, I had a, I got a, I got two kids now, but I had a son at a time where I was just, I just gotta make it. Like I got to make it for him, you know. That's my main thing, just, just to help him, you know, provide him with a, a great life. That's what I want to do. And I just, I, I didn't want to be denied at all, you know. Nothing wasn't gonna stop me, no matter what obstacles I had to face. Like my goal was, I was gonna, try, I was gonna get there some kind of way. Like I was determined. Like I couldn't, like. I was just determined. Dernis Johnson is joining us. I got to know, like, everybody in that locker room, I have to think that everybody in that room, I mean, not just the running back room, but that locker room has a pretty good idea of your story and your journey and your grind and what you've had to endure. What was it like for you to show up, play the way you did, help that team win a game they had to have in prime time? What was the reaction of everybody else? And then what was that moment like for you? Man, the reaction was crazy. Like, like everybody knew what you know knew what it took for me to get here. They know how hard I just work work hard every day and practice. They know that like they know all the little things, the little things that I do. You know, they they know everything. You know, just to come in and 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 everyone just celebrate. You know, just celebrate and just embrace me and just man, it's one of the best feelings. You know, and I came a lot like just to help the team get a win on a Thursday night when we needed it the most, man, like, you can't ask for a better better feeling than that. You know, like, those guys know how hard, you know, I work and and, and what what it took for me to get here. So, you know, I, it's, 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 it's crazy. I, I want to ask you one more thing, like, and this is just me. I'm just a media guy behind a microphone, but I want to tell you what I thought and what it felt like to me watching you run on Thursday night. I felt like every time you got your hands on the ball, you were running like with that journey, right? Like you were running with that entire thing on every carry in the sense that you're breaking tackles and you're running guys over. And I felt like you had this entire journey with every single time you hit the field. I, I don't know if I'm explaining this the right way, but that's yeah, how it yeah. felt to me. Like, how would you describe your mentality when you get your ball or when you get your hands on the ball? Because that's what it felt like. Your entire life was with every carry. Yeah, it was with every carry. You know, I knew it was uh, coming in. I knew it was a big opportunity for me. You know, just a big opportunity just to to showcase what I what I showcase. And I just wanted to make every chance I got the ball or every chance I got a chance to just to be in the game. I just want to make every opportunity count. You know, I didn't want to regret anything at the end of the day. I wanted to just leave it all out there and, and give my all and just make every opportunity that I get count. And that's what I went out there and, and did. You know? Every chance I got, like, I try to make it count. All right, so you got Pittsburgh coming up on Sunday, another big, big game. How are you approaching that this week? What's that look like to you, and what kind of a role do you think you'll have in that game? Oh, uh, man, you know, Pittsburgh, I mean, they're, they're a great team. They're coming off a bye. So, you know, they're a great team. Every year is always a, a challenge going against those guys. You know, it's a original game, so, you know, it, it means a lot more, you know. It means a lot more. So we just got to go out there and just – take it one day at a time and, and get better every day to prepare us well for this game. So that's what we're going to do. You know, our, our mentality every week is to, to go 1-0. So, you know, Pittsburgh's the next opponent, so we got to make sure we do all the studying and everything that we need to do to get prepared for this game. You know, and with my role, if I think uh, if Nick's coming back, you know, uh, you know, I'm going to just be me, continue being me, just continue to be the supportive guy that I am and, you know, support, support Nick when I'm in and I'm, when, the, when he's in. And uh, whenever I get a chance to get in and get an opportunity, you know, I just try to want to make sure I make the best opportunity of it. You know, make the best of that opportunity. Yeah, my man, you're you're your own guy. There's no doubt about that. And they've got immense respect for what you did. I mean, they needed you to win that game. I'm curious, what did Nick have to say to you when you came off the field when you played the way you did? 
man, even before the game, man, Nick told me, like, man, look, this is your opportunity, man. You always dream of it, man. Here's your opportunity to go out there and, and, and make the best of it. And uh, that's what he told me before the game. And during the game, he was just telling me, you know, keep a uh, good job and stuff like that. Just keep running, keep running hard, and keep trusting your eyes. Just, just keep playing freely, you know, just keep being – just. Keep being me, you know. So that's what I did. And after the game, man, he was just excited for me, you know, that I even I got a hundred yards, a hundred yard plus, and just in a, a touchdown because he know the hard work that I, that I put in day in and day out, and you know, just he know it, and uh, he was just happy for me, you know. Like Nick is like a, a brother to me, you know. We got that relationship, like he's a, he's a brother, like Nick is like a brother to me, like um, he was he was very happy. Listen, this is the truth. Watching you run in that game and watching the way you finished off that game and the way you finished off those drives, I was saying to my guys, I'm like, hey, man, I, I got to talk to this guy. I want to meet this guy. I want to have this guy on the show. I want to talk about his journey. And I'm so glad, Dearness, that you said yes. So congrats. It is great to meet you. It's great to have you on the show. You made it better. And it really is an amazing story, man. The slow grind. There's something to it. I appreciate you. And great to talk to you. Yes, sir. Thank you. I appreciate you for having me. Did you know a fire department responds to a fire every 24 seconds? Is that insane? October is Fire Prevention Month, and we're teaming up with First Alert, the most trusted brand in fire safety, to help protect your entire family with safety that you can trust. Smoke and carbon monoxide alarms help provide an early warning in the event of a home emergency. So having enough First Alert smoke and carbon monoxide alarms is one of the best things that you can do for your home and your family. You want to make sure you install alarms on every single level and in every bedroom of your home. And then once those alarms are installed, it is important to maintain them by testing them with regularity. And remember, alarms do not last forever. They need to be replaced at least every 10 years. If you can't remember the last time you replaced yours, it is best to replace the unit completely. So for a replacement option, my very favorite is First Alert's 10-year sealed battery alarms. 10-year sealed battery alarms are convenient and they eliminate the need for battery replacements for an entire decade. You also want to make sure you take the time to discuss home safety with your family. Plan and practice an escape route. Remember to practice it at least twice a year. For more information on fire safety products, safety tips, and educational activities that you can do at home with your family, visit firstalert.com slash month. Have you and your crew that you run with, whatever that crew is, have you started talking about a Cardinals-Bengals Super Bowl? Because if you haven't, you should start. Because the Cards are the best team in the best division in football right now. And the Bengals have the best record in the AFC. We've been talking about them today, but I've been talking about both these teams for quite some time now. I've been telling you. I've been telling you for a while, I've been riding with the cards for a long time now. And just like I was mocked for being the first to roll with who I glossed America's team, the Cleveland Browns, I also was taking heat for being the first one to load up on Arizona Cardinal stock as well. Let's just say that I was an early investor. I was hyping these guys early and often and every chance I could, including on the NFL Today yesterday. And I told the entire nation just how good the Bengals were. I've hit on both of these teams, Arizona and also on Cincinnati. Arizona before, Cincinnati of late. And then what happened yesterday? I pretty much went, I don't want to say, yeah, pretty much all in on Cincinnati. And what I said was, if you mess with them, they are liable to mess you up. And what happened? They went into Baltimore and they messed the Ravens up. They kicked their ass. And that's not an exaggeration. That is just a fact. To quote Bengal stud, Jesse Bates III, quote, if you ain't believing yet, you better start. If you ain't believing yet, you better start. He's not wrong. In fact, he's absolutely right. The Bengals are 5-2. and two. Their two losses are by a total of six points, one of which came in overtime. I tried to tell you last week, this team is good. I tried to tell you when they beat the crap out of the Lions, and they didn't even play that well, that they were good. But still, a lot of you weren't buying it. And it kind of goes back to what Ross Tucker said earlier. You have an idea of a person or a team, and you label them a certain way, and you think they're incapable of changing, that they're always going to be like that. 
So you were holding out. You wanted to see more. You needed the Bengals to make a statement of sorts. Yeah, well, they made it yesterday. They go into Baltimore, and they beat the Ravens down 41-17. to So is that enough of a statement for you now? They didn't just go into a hostile environment. They didn't just beat a team that many thought was the best team in the AFC. That was an absolute hospital job. They were down 17-13 in the third quarter, and then they scored 28 unanswered on the Ravens. Joe Burrows goes for 416 yards and three TDs, and he did so against a team that physically thrashed him last year. Like, if you want to know how big of a shift that was, the Bengals had not scored a TD in 33 straight drives against the Ravens, if you can believe that. And then they just flipped the switch. And did you see Jamar Chase? Did you see that touchdown? Even if you did see it, what do you say? We take a look at it again. Burrow in the gun on third and two. He'll look to pass. Quick throw. Slant caught by Chase. Runs to the 30. Breaks out of the pass. He's sprinting down the middle of the field. The Ravens 40. Pulling away at the 30. 20. 10. Touchdown. How great is Jamar Chase? 82 yards. Two. The house. Unbelievable. So great. Man, he is so good. Nobody should be giving out awards in October. But I gave him the Rookie of the Year award yesterday on the NFL Today on CBS. And that was before, before he completely torched the Ravens for eight receptions, 201 yards, and that TD. First rookie receiver with more than 200 yards in a game since 2014. How's that for a guy that some of you idiots want to call a bust in August? And it's not just Chase. Have you checked out CJ Uzama? Somebody else Ross Tuck was talking about. Ross is like, I don't even know who this guy is or where this guy came from, but he's awesome. And he is. Three receptions, 95 yards, and two scores, including this one. They fake a handoff to the left. Burrow rolls to the right. Got it deep down the middle of the field. Uzama makes the catch at the 25. Escapes a hit. Running between the hash marks. Touchdown, Bengals. Burrow deep to Uzama, and Cincinnati takes the lead on a 55-yard touchdown strike. Uzama is a stud. This guy's so good. And while it's easy to focus on just the offense, you best not sleep on that defense. These guys are fast. They're explosive. They bring the lumber. They're packing two-by-fours. They sack Lamar Jackson five times. They got Lamar five times, which is tied for the most times he's ever been sacked in a game. I just said the Bengals sacked Lamar Jackson five times, and they chased him from the game. Do you know how good you have to be to dominate Baltimore, Baltimore, I should say, to the point that they've got to pull Lamar out of the game for his own protection from the Bengals? What I'm saying is these dudes are good, and they're nasty, and they're getting better by the week. A team that has a quarterback who's coming back from a serious knee injury and a stud receiver who allegedly couldn't catch anything in camp, and now they're absolutely lighting it up every single week, and they're getting better. They're good. How good? I hate to be if the playoffs started today guy, but if the playoffs started today, Cincinnati would be the AFC's number one seed. That good. And the defense which was another question mark before the season, really is nasty as hell. Check out the locker room seam after the game. I could not be prouder of the complete team effort that we've been waiting on all season, and you guys saved it for a road game against the Baltimore Ravens. Pass off to you guys. Okay, number one, 23 of That's good, man. That's good. When was the last time you heard that from that locker room? Who day? Who day? Two months ago, there were a lot of questions about these guys. Now they've got the best record in the AFC. Take that for data. Here's some more data. 
They just put 41 on the Ravens in their house. That is the most points the Ravens have allowed at home since 2013. So, again, they're good. And they're not just good. They're playoff good. They're not just playoff good. They could go deep in the playoffs good. They're not just they could go deep in the playoffs good. But the AFC may go through the natty good. They're that good. Man, it, that was weird to see a beat down like that. Not only Baltimore getting beaten down like that at home, which is weird enough, but the Bengals doing the beating. You know what else got weird? The atmosphere or the energy in the Baltimore radio booth. This got really weird. Listen to this. Tyler Boyd has it for a short game out to the 34-yard line. Again, impressive coverage by Anthony Avery. What are you doing? And that is going to force the punt team on. If you were listening, you heard Femi say, what are you doing? What are you doing? He was not talking to the players or the coaches. We actually had a fan who was trying to climb into the broadcast booth. She said, I'm a veteran and I'm looking for a drink. Yeah, I don't serve uh, drinks at the game. I might make some cocktails at home, but this is not the right time or place. You just never know what's going to pop up or who's going to show up on game day. That's kind of weird. That's a little scary and kind of insane. Like, I've listened to that a couple of times. I'm not sure what was happening there. It sounded like a fan was trying to climb into the broadcast booth looking for a drink. The hell is going on here? How does that happen? How does that make sense? Better yet, how many drinks have you had at that point if you're hitting up the broadcast crew for a couple of beers? I'm guessing you've already had about 15 beers too many. It's a radio broadcast booth, not a sports bar. Have you ever seen a radio booth, a radio broadcast booth? If that looks like an open bar to you, the last thing you need is another drink. And by the way, when have you ever had to climb into a bar? She had to climb into the booth to get into the booth to get a drink. When have you ever had to actually physically climb into a bar? What kind of bars are you going to where you need to climb through a window instead of just walking through the front door? Do these guys with headsets and microphones look like bartenders to you? If you think the play-by-play guy is going to serve you a cold one, it's probably time to switch up or stop. What are you doing? What are you doing? You get the play-by-play guy like, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? What do you want? What are you doing? Gin and tonic? What are you doing? What do you want? What are you doing? Grey Goose and soda? What are you doing? Gin and tonic? And a lager? What do you mean, Grey Goose? Gin and tonic, man. It's not a bar. Give me my beer. What are you doing? So, like, I don't want to make light of that. Like, that's kind of scary and kind of weird. But, but seriously, what are you doing? That's a very good question. What are you doing? It's a radio broadcast booth, ma'am. What are you doing? Do you see anything on tap here? Do you see any taps? Do I look like a bartender? I'm play-by-play guy. And this here is color analyst guy. Crazy. Andy McCullough is joining me right now, and I want to talk about the NLCS. He's a senior writer at The Athletic, previously covered baseball for the Los Angeles Times, the Kansas City Star, and the Star Ledger. Andy, it is good to have you back on. Thank you so much for doing it. How are you? I'm well, Jim. How about yourself? Good, good. It's good to visit with you. So you've got a great piece on The Athletic right now about the NLCS and especially about what happened to the Dodgers. I want to talk about Atlanta and Houston in a moment, but starting with L.A. and the different factors in their loss, in your opinion, how much of them not making it to the World Series was about their starting pitching just not working out the way they expected? Yeah, I mean, I think that's certainly a part of it. I mean, I guess like the simplest answer is it didn't hit enough, but they hit enough, if that makes sense, right? They, they did actually score runs. They didn't get shut out every game. And so, you know, their run prevention was below their standard. And I think that they have spent, 
you know, the last several months kind of trying to build up for the fact that, you know, they had a starting pitcher shortage. Um, you know, that traces back to, you know, in my opinion, to the decision to sign Trevor Bauer. That has obviously backfired spectacularly. It's been an embarrassment for the organization, and they've been doing lots of things, you know, basically this entire season to try and compensate for that. So they acquired Max Scherzer. They made a lot of other, you know, sort of moves. They, um, you know, didn't give Clayton Kershaw the necessary time to rest when he initially hurt his elbow. And so it led to a situation where they entered – the postseason with three effective starting pitchers. And then they made the, you know, frankly confounding decision, at least in the case of Julio Urias, to use him in relief, um, you know, which cost them a game in game two against the NLCS and also, you know, sort of made him less effective in his next start. And they also saw that the decision to use Max Scherzer in relief, which I think was more defensible, um, completely backfired as well. And that, you know, he was basically just asked out of pitching in game six of the NLCS, or maybe that's a little strong, but it was decided he should not pitch in game six, which they lost with Walker Bueller on short rest. So yeah, I mean, the pitching was a, was a real issue. Andy McCullough joining us, a senior writer of the athletics. So having said all that, let me ask you, you were talking to Ned Yost about the approach of using a starter as a reliever, <laughs> which is something that Dave Roberts and Alex Cora both did in the championship series. What do you make, or what did Yost make of how it was done this year? And what's his thinking behind that? I mean, I think he found it interesting. I called Ned, you know, I used to cover the Royals, and so I have a relationship with him. And I thought it would be interesting because he is someone who, on, you know, a very big stage for him in the American League wildcard game in 2014, used a starting pitcher in relief, Giordano Ventura, and saw it, um, you know, just blow up in his face. Ventura gave up a three-run bomb, and, you know, the Royals did come back to win that game, but had they not, there was a decent chance and Ned Yost might have lost his job over that decision. And so I was interested just in, in his take on it. And, you know, his point was, I think, fairly similar to what a lot of people in baseball think about these things, which is kind of the risk often outweighs the, outweighs the reward, the risk of, you know, what might happen if the, you know, one, if the pitcher just doesn't pitch well, but two, if it affects him in his next start. And I think, you know, you saw that, um, you know, specifically with the Dodgers. I mean, you know, the, the, I understand using Max Scherzer in relief in Game Five of the NLDS. I, I, I get the appeal of you know needing him there or feeling like you needed him there to close out the Giants, who are obviously a very, very good baseball team. But I don't think anyone really could have predicted how much it would have affected him and rendered him. You know, he had a dead arm. Uh, you know, when he took the baseball again. Um, for the Dodgers, I believe it was in game two, you know, like, you know, only couldn't finish the fifth inning and then he just couldn't go in game six. And so like, that's the risk, right? And the reward is you get a clean inning. Um, and I think, you know, you can see kind of the, the difference in, in scale there. We're talking to Andy McCullough. So really quickly, I mean, we talked about the Dodgers pitching and Trevor Bauer and the decisions that they made to use starting pitching out of the bullpen and such, but none of this really explains what happened to the offense, right? What happened yeah. to the Dodger offense? So losing Max Muncy right on the last day of the season really hurts. Muncy was their best hitter. He was kind of the left-handed, like, middle cog in the lineup who, you know, always had good at-bats. So, you know, okay, that's that hurts. Justin Turner, you know, sort of uh, was not physically really at his peak, and he was out for the last couple games. But, you know, look, I mean, you, you kind of saw – what the offense had been for much of the season. I mean, it was, they scored a lot of runs and in some ways, you know, were very effective, but they had a lot of games that they would win, you know, three to one or, you know, four to two because the pitching was just so good. This was not an offense that was very consistent. And so they were not consistent in this postseason, you know, and I think, um, you know, Trey Turner obviously, you know, really struggled. You know, Corey Seager hit for power a little bit, but was not the Corey Seager he was last October. Uh, Mookie Betts, you know, was pretty good, uh, you know, in, in uh, for most of it, but wasn't really hitting for power. You know, there's, there's, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see if he has any sort of procedure to deal with the hip problem he had for most of the year. I mean, they just, you know, the the big guys in their lineup did not produce at the way, in the way that they had in years past. Andy McCullough is joining us to break it all down. All right, so what about the World Series? Gets underway tomorrow night. What are your initial thoughts on that matchup? I think it's actually going to be pretty good. I mean, having watched Atlanta up close, you know, in the NLCS, I know they won 88 games, but they're better than an 88-win team. They have, um, you know, Alex Anthopoulos deserves a lot of credit for how he made up for losing Ronald Acuna uh, during, you know, right before the, the, the trade deadline. You know, they were able to get Jock Peterson, uh, Jorge Soler, Adam Duvall, and Eddie Rosario, who, apparently is the best hitter on the play like I've ever seen. Uh, Seriously. He's played near the stretch in, in the NLCS. But what they have, right, is they have a lineup that doesn't really have a dead spot. They have a good hitter, more or less, or a competent hitter in all eight spots in their lineup, which is, you know, really, which is really, really valuable this time of year. They're not going to be giving up 
free outs. You know, the problem though is that Atlanta, or excuse me, uh, that Houston, you know, is is I they had been my pick to win. You know, for much of the year, I think they're very very dangerous. Um, you know, their offense is just ferocious. Jordan Alvarez is just as hot as Eddie Rosario, if not more. You know, you got Carlos Correa and Jose Altuve, who are obviously battle tested. You know, it'll be interesting. Um, with Lance McCullers is unlikely to pitch in the series. He is Houston's best starting pitcher. Um, you know, Atlanta is going to probably have to pitch some sort of bullpen game in there. Uh, you know, in, in the in the seven game series. So I, I think the things favor Houston, but it should be a, a good competitive series. And Atlanta is, is not is a lot better than an eighty eight win team. I think in terms of their true talent. Right uh, I think that's such a good point you make. They are. They are definitely. I, mean, yeah. I keep thinking like you know the the setup is so wrong. Like how can a team that's 18, 18 and a half back of L A have the home field advantage? But they are so much better than their eighty eight wins. You know, you and I talked about this earlier in the year, but you have a great piece on the Astros and how they've had to deal with the heat that they've taken from the fans yeah. and the cheating scandal. Would winning a World Series this year eliminate the questions that the fans have or only amplify them? Yeah, I mean, did it eliminate it for the Patriots when they won in the post, you know, Spygate, post-Deflategate era? No, I mean, that's just, it becomes part of your record, you know, and whether that's fair or unfair, you know, I don't, I don't care. I mean, I just, I, I think that once you get, you know, caught doing things like this, it, it, it just becomes, you know, your identity. And that's, you know, maybe that's, uh, you know, a shame that you get, you know, branded that. But yeah, I mean, I think, uh, it's not going to change how they're treated, uh, you know, how they're perceived, I guess, by fans. And it's, not, it's also not going to change how they're perceived here in Houston. I mean, this team is beloved by the city. They've really, you know, stood behind them despite, you know, getting caught cheating. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I don't think it, it will change much. I was going to say, I don't think it's going to change anything at all. I think you're right. He's a senior writer at The Athletic. Previously covered baseball for the Los Angeles Times, the Kansas City Star, and the Star Ledger. Very good to talk to you, too. Andy, thanks so much. I really appreciate you. Great to have you back. No problem, Jim. Have a good one. Good job. Good night.